Um, well, I can't find one. I don't know. I never thought about. I really don't know. Sometimes I, I think maybe it's to, to, to get it right. I think it's very fluid, but I think the purpose of life basically is to contribute to society in the best way you know how. Raise a family, have grandchildren. To make the planet a better place than it was previously. Connect with something that's bigger than yourself. To glorify God on a daily basis and to essentially work to um, kind of become our best selves that we can and fulfill that potential that God gave us when he created us. For one, to be happy and to and to make happy the people you have around and to tell them how much you love them. Maybe just helping another person. If I can help one other life, then that would fulfill my purpose. My belief is that I was created to worship Allah, or that's the Arabic word for God. To live like a good life and just leave with some sort of mark on history and just have somebody remember me. Do our best to get to heaven is bring as many people as we can with us. Pursuing what you really want to do. There's not really a specified meaning or a specified purpose. I guess that everyone comes up with that for themselves. Well, good evening, church family. Uh, let me invite you to get a copy of the scripture and find 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 and following. 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. We're also going to be in a number of other places tonight. You may want to go ahead and have James chapter 3 uh, handy. We're going to look at the subject matter tonight because the world needs to see. Because the world needs to see. And tonight we're going to look and see what the Scripture has to say about our example and our influence and what we ought to be striving to do as far as our witness. Uh, as you continue to find your place in, in Scripture, let me indicate we need to be in prayer for Pat Testerman. She will be going into Northeast Hospital Friday and staying overnight and getting a pacemaker. So pray for her. Uh, also, I trust that your deacon nomination forms were turned in uh, over the weekend, and we will be working on that and bringing those names of nominees to you to elect as deacons. Uh, we do that at the end of September. Also, let me ask you to pay very close attention to the update that we will be putting out this coming Friday. And so be looking for that uh, in your email and on the church website. So anyway, just a few housekeeping matters. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for tonight that we can look into your word. And as the psalmist said in Psalm 119, your precepts are our teachers and our counselors. And they bring us encouragement and hope and instruction. And so, Father, I pray that you would use your word tonight in the hearts and lives of your people. Lord, help us to be mindful of the fact that the world is watching. The world is watching Christians and watching the church. And so help us to be the examples 
that you have called us to be. We do want to pray for Pat, that you would bring peace to her heart and mind. Lord, may she know you as the God of all comfort, who comforts her in all of her affliction. And we pray that as she has this procedure done uh, Friday, that it would be successful without any complications, that you would bring healing to her body. We continue to pray for all of the various ministries of the church, Lord, that you would work your work among us, uh, even in spite of our limitations. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. From 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, I want you to listen to these words tonight. Paul says there in verse 12, he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now tonight, mainly we're going to look at verse 12. But I want to begin tonight by reading, just simply reading, a few other passages in the New Testament. And I have a question for you regarding these. In Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, Jesus said, You're the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And then over in Romans chapter 12, a passage that we know and love so much. Paul says, beginning in verse 1 of Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Just a few others over in Ephesians 4. Beginning there in verse 1, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And then beginning in chapter 5 uh, of Ephesians, listen to what Paul goes on to say there. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, all of these texts that I've read tonight, including our, 
our base text, 1 Timothy 4.12, have a common theme. And what is that theme? It's the theme of the believer's example, the believer's walk, our influence. In 1 Timothy 4.12, that verse points out the power of a role model. We, we certainly need more role models today. We have the choice to be good role models or bad role models. We either add to the good of the world or we diminish it simply by our example. The Apostle Paul is urging Timothy here to live with forethought and with purpose. He's urging Timothy not just simply to mark his time on this earth. He's to guard his steps carefully and to be a faithful example so that his life can have the maximum influence and example. What he does here, he invites Timothy to look at the different areas of life where he can be an example. Now, first of all, what does he tell him to do? Be an example in your speech. Look again at verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech. So underscore speech, first of all. You know, the Bible is filled with so many commandments and admonitions when it comes to our words. Listen to what the book of Proverbs uh, has to say about the tongue. In Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28 says, A man of knowledge uses words with restraint, and a man of understanding is even-tempered. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. And then in Proverbs 21, verse 23, the scripture says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. How many people have you known that have gotten their lives in trouble simply by their words? Proverbs 29, verse 20 says, Do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And then one more from Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Folks, the tongue is powerful. All we have to do to see the impact of our words is just look around us in society today. You know, we look in the news or we look in the political environment, this being an election year, and we see the power of words and what a bad example so many people in the world today can be. You know, I've gotten where I just, I just can't sit down and watch a complete news cycle anymore. People are just so divisive and petty and mean-spirited with their words. Folks, we, we all know that our words have impact. In the home, if you have small kids, our, our kids, for example, know a lot about us and our Christian example by our words. Listen to what one kid said, even about hearing their names spoken. He said, any child can tell you that the sole purpose of a middle name 
is so that you can tell when you're really in trouble. Our words can build up or tear down. There's a place for rebuke, there's a place for correction, and there's a place for encouragement. The Bible says in Proverbs 25:11, a word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Folks, one thing that we all have to ask ourselves is, do, do we encourage others with our words? Do we correct and instruct at the proper time? Do we encourage at the proper time? How do we use this gift of language that God's given us? Words matter. And our words communicate very powerful things about our Christian faith. Let's think about what the Lord Jesus said about words. Jesus spoke about honesty in our speech. He said, let your yes be yes and your no, no. That's in Matthew 5, 37. He went on to say that anything else is of the evil one. Now, what he was talking about in that context was honesty in our speech. We are to be a model in our honesty. You know, I was disturbed some time ago to read uh, a study or survey that a vast majority of Americans today believe that lying is actually okay if it benefits you in some way. Now, folks, what does that say about our character or our lack thereof? With sarcasm, the American political leader, Adelaide Stevenson, said, A lie is an abomination unto the Lord and a very present help in time of trouble. Pretty serious misquote of Scripture. Uh, the Lord is a present help in time of trouble. But, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people would agree with Adelaide Stevenson in these words. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Folks, part of honesty has to do with vows, saying we will do things and then we don't, or we say we won't do something and then we turn around and do it. Again, Jesus said our yes is to be yes and our no, no. People are to be able to trust us by our words. On vacation last week at the beach, I was reading through the books of both Joshua and Judges. And uh, I think of a situation there in Joshua 9. Joshua, in Joshua 9, the Israelites were beginning to conquer the promised land one region after another. The Bible talks about how the neighboring peoples, the Canaanites around them, were in such fear. Uh, first of all, they conquered Jericho and then Ai and and just as they were about to move toward a southern campaign, the men of Gibeon came to Joshua and tricked him with their words. 
The men of Gibeon made the Israelites think that they were from a distant country and they wanted the Israelites to be their allies. Because again, Joshua and the people were to destroy everybody within the promised land. And so the Gibeonites made it seem as though they had come from a distant land. Uh, Joshua and all the elders entered into a covenant with the Gibeonites and, and made a vow to them that they would be allies. If you recall that story, you'll recall how the Gibeonites dressed in old clothing and shoes that were worn and tattered, and they brought stale bread with them, again, just giving every appearance that they had been traveling from a far country when really they were just right up the road a little ways. Well, when Joshua found out that he had been tricked and the leaders of Israel had been tricked, and the Gibeonites were actually people that they were to drive out of the promised land, it would have been a great occasion to destroy them. In fact, that's what a lot of people around Joshua wanted to do. But you remember what Joshua and the elders said. They said, no, we can't do that. We made a covenant with our words. We took a vow not to hurt them, and so we are going to live by our words. Now, folks, that's integrity. When you keep your word even to your own hurt. In the church, we need to be known as people who keep our word. That's the kind of honesty Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus went on in the Gospels uh, to say that you can tell what is in someone's heart simply by listening to their words. The mouth is a window to the heart and the soul of a person. Well, I, I mentioned James, James chapter 3. Let me invite you to turn over to James chapter 3 a minute. That's some of the longest discussion in the New Testament about our words and the tongue. In chapter 3, verse 1, James says, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings." who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursings. 
My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. James speaks there about the power of the tongue. He gives the analogy of something small controlling something much larger. A bit in the mouth of a horse enabling the rider to, to steer and direct the animal. The rudder on a large ship controlling the direction of that large vessel. The human tongue is that way. Very small. The average human tongue I've read is about four ounces. Let's think of somebody's body. An average man probably weighs something like, what, 170 pounds? And yet four ounces out of the 170 pounds can dictate his whole life if he's not careful. Words can damage. Words can also heal and encourage. James talks about the inconsistency of the tongue here. And so from all of these places in the Bible, whether we're looking at Proverbs, whether we're looking at Jesus' instruction in the Sermon on the Mount, whether we're looking at James or really any other place in the New Testament having to do with our language, we see a very clear instruction from the Word of God that the gift of language is to be carefully guarded. Christians are to be careful how they use the gift of speech. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Do you lack self-control in your words? Paul is telling Timothy, when it comes to your words, Timothy, be an example. Exercise the proper kind of of Christ-honoring speech. Well, secondly, we won't spend as long a time on some of the other ones because we have a lot of ground to cover here. He says, be an example in your conduct. That's what he says next in verse 12. Our conduct obviously relates to how we live out the gospel. We are to apply the Word of God to everyday life. You know, the Bible says all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 talking about the inspiration uh, of God's Word. God's Word is God's Word. But for it to do you and me any good, we've got to put it into practice. James says, let us be doers of the Word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. One of the most powerful deceptions of all is how we can go to Sunday school, we can go to church, we can go to ministry groups, we can talk about things that are in the Bible, and then we can go home and we can fail to apply any of it. You know, I can't help but believe that's the very reason why most Americans say with their words that they're Christians, and yet look at society today. It, it seems as though we're more pagan 
and unbelieving in our conduct than we've ever been. In a, in a society like ours, we need Christians to be examples in life, in conduct, in practice. I don't remember where I got these statistics from. This is some years ago, but in America, every day, at least three children die from child abuse. Every day, 500 children ages 10 to 14 begin using illegal drugs. As I mentioned, I got these statistics years ago. It's probably gotten worse. Daily, 1,400 young unwed girls become mothers. Among teenagers ages 15 to 19, shootings are the third leading cause of death. Teenage suicide has tripled in the past 30 years. Folks, that in a, in a country where most of the citizens of the country say with their lips that they're Christians. Folks, we've got to be an example with our lives, with our conduct. We can talk all day long about raising our children in Christian homes, but if we never crack open a Bible in our homes, if we never pray, we never talk about biblical answers to everyday problems, uh, are we making a mockery out of claiming that our home is Christian? If we come to church and talk about honesty and cut corners and cheat on our income tax, are we making a mockery out of our Christian faith? If we talk about the importance of forgiveness and yet we don't forgive people when they hurt us, then we're making a mockery out of what the Scripture teaches. If we talk about God owning everything, but then we won't be good stewards back to God with our lives and our resources, again, we're, we're not practicing what we preach. Our conduct isn't matching our words. Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you've got to strive to be a role model, not just in your words, but in your conduct, in your lifestyle, in how you apply the Word of God. Don't measure your Christianity by simply how much you know, but do you live out what you know? How much does your Christianity impact your life come Monday morning? You know, Jesus told a parable about this, didn't he? The two houses, one on sand, one on rock. One of the builders is the, the one who builds on sand is likened to the person who, who hears Jesus' words but doesn't do anything with them. The other one is likened to the person who hears Jesus' words and puts them into practice. And Jesus says that person is like someone who builds a house on the rock. They've got a solid foundation. So again, we've got to put our words, our Christian principles and beliefs into practice and our conduct. A third thing Timothy is being told by Paul is to be an example in your love. You know, we know that there is a love to shun, a love to turn away from. John talks about that in 1 John chapter 2 beginning in verse 15. He says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
We're not to love the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What treasure do you love? What's your true love in life? There's a love to embrace. Over in in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, if you want to turn there with me for just a moment. Beginning there in verse 37. Jesus replied when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So there's a love to embrace. We're to love God with all of our hearts minds, bodies, soul, and we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Timothy is being told by the Apostle Paul to be an example in his love, his love of the right things and the right persons. You know, there's a wonderful story in the Bible about a woman showing extravagant love to God. Jesus was at a dinner one time, and all of a sudden a woman comes through the door with a jar of perfume. The Bible tells us it was very, very expensive perfume. In fact, it would have taken a year's worth of wages to purchase this perfume. She breaks the flask and pours the contents over Jesus' feet and wipes his feet with her hair. Everybody sitting around witnessing this, you know, they sort of begin to pull out their mental calculators. Their problem was that their love was a measured love, but her love was an extravagant love. You remember what Jesus said about her? He said, from now on, wherever the gospel is preached in the world, what this woman has done to show her love for me will be spoken of. Jesus came to show us extravagant love, but it seems like what touched his heart in a special way on this occasion was somebody showing him that kind of love. Model love of the Lord. Be an example. Read 1 Corinthians 13 sometime, the love chapter. You know, Paul describes the the necessity of love, that whatever our gift is, if our gift, our spiritual gift, for example, is not carried out with love, it's, it's nothing. And then he goes on to describe love. Instead of just a simple definition, he begins describing what love is like in action. Love is patient and kind. and It's forgiving and forbearing. Uh, great chapter in the Bible. We call it the love chapter. Paul goes on to say there, and now abideth faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. 
So folks, Christians need to be an example to an unbelieving world of their love. Jesus said the world will know that we're his disciples by our love for one another. He was talking about disciples in the church and how we treat one another in the church. Our, our love for one another in the church will be an example to the world. And the world will know that we're followers of Christ by our love for one another. So again, Timothy and then us as well, of course, are being admonished to be an example in love. Fourthly, Paul is saying to Timothy, be an example in your faith. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Think of that. Impossible to please God without faith. Read Hebrews 11 sometimes. Uh, it's called the roll call of faith. And, and see how the writer of Hebrews is describing all of these saints out of the Old Testament how they lived out their faith in everyday life and how it costs them. In some cases, it costs them their very lives. Of course, a life of faith, if we're going to be an example of faith, a life of faith begins with a heart given to Christ, salvation. Come to Christ. Cast yourself on Him and Him alone for salvation if you've not done that. Don't put that off. Acknowledge your sin and your need of a Savior. What you don't need is just more religion in and of itself. What you need is a relationship with Christ. Well, a life of faith continues with a heart growing in Christ. Where do you invest your time and energy? It's not that we don't have enough time. It's how we use the time we've been given. People use time differently. Here's where people are so different. One of the areas where people are so different. Invest your time growing in the Lord. That's living a life of faith. Paul said in verses 7 to 8 of this same chapter, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profit for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Let people around you see that your Christian faith is growing and maturing. You know, it's a poor testimony for Christianity when when we've been Christians maybe for years and years, maybe even for decades, and yet we're still sucking on a bottle, so to speak. The writer of Hebrews said, By now you should be mature. I should be able to give you meat to eat, but I'm still having to give you milk. They had stalled out in their growing in their faith. They refused to grow up. J. Oswald Sanders was a great example among Christian leaders of a generation past. He once said, you're as close to God right now as you want to be. You know, that's so true, isn't it? God wants you to grow. God wants you to mature. If your faith is not growing, if it's not maturing, guess who's responsible for that? You are. William Law said much the same thing. He said, and I quote here, 
And if you will hear, stop and ask yourself why, why you're not as pious as the primitive Christians were, your own heart will tell you that it's neither through ignorance nor inability, but purely because you have, because you never thoroughly intended it. He's saying much the same thing that J. Oswald Sanders said. Put the simple spiritual disciplines into practice in your life. Reading your Bible, praying, witnessing to others, serving the Lord with the gifts and resources that you've been blessed with. Just do the basics and you'll grow. And as you grow, your study of God's Word will become more skilled. And your service will become more fine-tuned. Your prayer life will become more effective. Your witness will become more bold. Just putting the basics into practice. What I want you to understand is growing in faith and being a model in faith doesn't just happen. It's only going to take place because of purpose and intention. Just like anything else in life. It takes discipline and it takes work. You know, we're saved by grace and not by works, not of ourselves. But once we're saved, God expects us to put principles of growth into practice so that we'll grow. If you're out trying to do everything else, then there's no time to work on growing in your faith. I heard about a lady who volunteered for every club and organization in her community. She was chairman of this and chairman of that and organizer for this and organizer for that. When she died, they put on her tombstone, here lies Mary Smith. She was clubbed to death. Tragically, that's how so many people are. They're busy about things in the world and not growing in their faith. Growing in faith and being an example of that takes time. Something's going to have to give in your life and my life. Something's going to have to be set aside. We're going to have to change our priorities. But what is your faith worth to you? Your, your Christian growth in faith and your example in that. What's it worth to you? I hope it's worth setting some other things aside. Some other things that in light of eternity simply won't matter. An example of faith is also seen in a heart governed by Christ. Faith is demonstrated by how we put our, how we put our profession of faith to work. You know, I talked about Hebrews 11 a moment ago and how that roll call of faith in that chapter, the saints, how their faith cost them. Abraham and Sarah left behind their homeland to go to a new land God had called them to. Rahab, talking about Joshua a moment ago, in the book of Joshua, Rahab hid the spies and kept them safe. Deborah, in, in the book of Judges, you know, she led God's people into battle. Esther went before the king, even though she had not been summoned to do so. It could have cost her her very life. Faith cost. If your faith has never cost you anything, then maybe there's not much faith there. You know, an easy armchair faith is not really much of a faith at all. Count the cost of being a follower of Christ. Demonstrate 
what a life of faith does. That's what Paul is admonishing Timothy to do. And then lastly here, he says, Timothy, be an example in your purity. You know, I think we would all agree we live in an R-rated society, and it's becoming even worse than that, X-rated society in many ways. Seems like, you know, whether it's billboards or ads or clothing styles or TV shows, society is trying to invent new ways to be pornographic. We need to listen to what Peter says to ladies. Now, Peter has a powerful word to ladies, but men, think of ways this could apply. To, yes, it's, Peter's talking to, to wives here, but think how this passage could also be put into practice in everybody's life. Peter says, let not your adornment be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Now, I hope if you're a man, you wouldn't be doing that. But anyway, but, but it, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. The heart. Peter is talking about a pure heart on the inside. Again, he's talking to wives here. But all of us ought to have a pure heart on the inside. You know, after reading what all Paul is saying here, you, you may be thinking, wow, how in the world, how in the world can anybody live up to doing verse 12 here? It's a tall order. Who can live up to that? I hope that's not how that makes you feel. kind of makes me think of a, a story about some cows out grazing in a field one day, and they saw a milk truck go by. And on the side of the milk truck was the advertisement for the milk. It said, our milk is pasteurized, homogenized, sanitized, and vitamin enriched. One of the cows said to the other, kind of makes you feel inadequate, doesn't it? But folks, I want you to remember, you're not alone. Remember what Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so as we're being an example in all of these areas, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and purity, we're not alone. Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit, is there to strengthen us, to guide us, to give us direction, and to help us to help us do more than we could accomplish on our own. You know, God's call involves God's enablement. Whatever He calls us to do and commands us to do, He will help us do it. Are you allowing the Lord to daily mold and shape within you a heart of virtue in character? Are you becoming an example in these areas? Put any failures behind you. Confess them to God. It's like what Paul said to the Philippians. Forgetting what lies behind and pressing on to what lies ahead, pressing on for the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Any shortcomings and failures, confess them, Repent of them and let it be a new day because, again, the world's watching. 
You and I need to be examples. I hope you will memorize 1 Timothy 4.12. God bless you.